Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 144 of the show with Madison Messina. You can find her on Twitter at Ask Miss Madison. I'll tell you more about Madison in a moment. My guest also today is Maz Compton. We're going to have a quick chat with her, but I'll tell you a bit more about Maz and Madison in a second. This episode is brought to you by the very good people at Patreon who have been so kind to support this show for as little as five bucks a month. You can get access to exclusive episodes. This month's exclusive is with Maz Compton. She and I had a quick chat that you're about to hear, and then we had a much longer conversation uh, where we delved into faith, into white male privilege, into all kinds of things, into humility. It's a cracker of a show, and if you want to hear it, it's super easy. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get access to those exclusive episodes knowing that you're also supporting this show. It is a Sunday in uh, Sydney right now, and I am uh, about to go and do a bunch of things in my day with my family that I otherwise would not be able to do, but I am able to do it because uh, wonderful people have uh, pledged five bucks, at, or uh, sometimes more, sometimes less, but most of them five bucks a month to uh, help make this show happen. Um, some of those people are Daniel. Thank you very much, Daniel and Joshua and Jason, and Katrina, and Jade, and Amy, and Kate, and Siobhan, and Dita, and Nicola, um, and Jesse, and Alyssa, and Scott, and Megan, and Leslie, and Tim. Uh, just a few people who have uh, pledged um, at least five bucks a month in the last uh, few weeks to help out the show. So thank you so, so, so much to every single one of you and everybody else that's pledged to the show. Uh, for more information, just go to patreon.com slash osher, O-S-H-E-R. Um, 
Oh, just quickly, let's get to the Maz chat real quick. Um, so Maz Compton, she was on this show um, a few episodes ago. She's in the archives. You can go check her out. She, at the time we spoke last time, she was starting the breakfast radio show on uh, Two Day FM, which is the big radio station in uh, in Sydney. Uh, she now does the national breakfast radio show on the weekends. So I think like 14 or 15 stations she does on the weekends. It's a big show. And uh, she... And I spoke last time when she spoke about the power of manifestation. She spoke about how she puts in her consciousness, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I feel like doing, and works towards that. And one of those, and then those things tend to happen because she works quite hard. And one of those things is a talk show, and she has debuted her talk show. And uh, it's very exciting. And so she popped around. Um, she uh, and I had a much longer conversation, which went on to be the Patreon exclusive. But we uh, had this little chat at the start here uh, to basically take you through her new talk show, which sounds fantastic. And I certainly hope when my schedule comes down, I can actually have time to be on it. Uh, but I really wanted to support her and really wanted to get her on the show. So you can go and check out her talk show. It sounds like the stuff dreams are made of. It really does. As you know, I believe the independent digital broadcasting is going to carry us all to the future of great content and authenticity. And I couldn't be more happy to uh, share this with you. I hope you enjoy her talk show and I hope you enjoy this quick chat with Maz Compton. Thanks for coming over, Maz. Thanks for having me over, Osha. This is so lovely. Well, it's good. I wanted to talk to you just in general about... No, very quickly, <laughs> and then I want to do an exclusive podcast with you. Okay, cool. So you, on this show, you came on and you said, I'm going to host a talk show. <laughs> and now you host a talk show. Pretty much. <laughs> I fully manifested it, hey. Yeah. It's something that I've wanted to do. I think I've mentioned this to you before, probably maybe when the microphones weren't rolling, for years and years. I've, I've thought I want to have this platform... Where I can talk about stuff that's really important, talk about stuff that generally you don't hear in this landscape of white noise and nonsense and bullshit. And I finally, I think it was a combination of just me being ready and the right platform becoming available. And so I'm doing a web series called Chatterbox where we talk about stuff that really matters. People are listening on their phones right now. They pull their phone out of their pocket, pull your phone out of your pocket. Pull your phone out. And unless you're Open driving. Open up your browser. Unless you're driving, then ask Siri. Get the, ask Siri or get the passenger <laughs> to do it. And what website do they type in? It's Yahoo 7B. So B is Yahoo 7's brand new sort of platform that covers lifestyle and entertainment and fitness and health. And I guess I'm fronting the entertainment type stuff. So it's it's a series where I talk to my celebrity friends, um, slash some people I've never met before, but hey, we become friends within five <laughs> minutes. Um, and it's really fun. It's been something really different for me. As you'd know, working in commercial radio, there's this level of stuff you have to do on a show every day. Yeah. Because um, it's a business and, you know, you've got to get to the news on time and there's certain constraints around it. And the thing I love about what I've been able to do is I can sit on a milk crate in a freezing cold alleyway with Alex Perry and talk for about 48 minutes. And then we just kind of cut together little grabs and little interesting bits and just seed them out on social media. So you've created a... Uh you created a, a talk show in the brave new world of digital entertainment, which I'm very excited about. I have. It's so bizarre, but not bizarre. 
And it's something I've thought about for so many years and now it, it's actually unfolding. Like today I'm filming and I'm so excited about the people I get to talk to. Mm. And some of them are people I've known for many, many years. Like I had a chat with the Veronicas the other day and I've known those girls for 12 years. That was mm. when we did our very first interview in 2004. And it's so nice to have journeyed with them, you know, on and off over those mm. years in this media landscape and in this world of pop and celebrity. And it's even nicer to sit down and just be real about how that's worked out for them mm. and what their, you know, their true feelings and thoughts are about authenticity and fame and passion and what's yeah. important. And so I'm just loving unpacking all of these conversations with people that you wouldn't usually get to hear. Yeah. And, I mean, the other night, uh, Richie, who does, uh, he's our new bachelor yes. at, at the moment. I'm, I'm all across Richie. If you're listening to this show in a year, uh, that's who we talked to the other night. We did a Facebook Live. Mm. I think we were on for, for a couple of minutes. We've already got a quarter of a million people watching. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind-blowing where the eyeballs are. And it's a good platform are. because you can watch it anywhere, anytime mm, yeah. when it's convenient for you. Yeah. Like it, the thing that is great, I mean, it, it's obviously different to just how TV used to be, yeah. but you can consume stuff when you want where you want now. Yeah. And I think making content for that audience is a lot more fun. Yeah. And so with this show, you've, uh, you, you pitched it or they pitched you? How did it work? Um, it was a bit of a collaboration. Mm. So Yahoo 7 came to me and they said, we're launching this new platform called B. We think you'd be a great ambassador for it. It's B like what do you want to be rather than a second letter of the alphabet. It's B-E, yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so we, you know, unpacked a few ideas and they said, you know, could you, know, could you sort of front up our entertainment house? And, you know, that could be anything from being on red carpets to doing, you know, junkets and talking to movie stars about their movies and and I was like I can do all of that I've done it for 12 years I'd be happy to do it but why don't we do something that no one else is doing yeah. why don't we sit down and talk to people about real shit that actually matters yeah. and they went well let's do a season and see how it goes well that's great because let's be honest now that in the old world the gatekeepers were those networks. And if you wanted to see those red carpets, that was the only place you could see them. And, and the, 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 the funnel worked in that a certain movie house was able to guarantee only access to a certain outlet. So yep. then there was a certain focus of viewership and eyeballs towards that certain outlet. Now, and I say this to people all the time, there's nothing I can tell you on radio that you haven't seen on your phone at least 10 minutes ago. Agreed. Nothing. Okay? So there's no red carpet footage that you can get. No. But the other 40 people to the right of you on the, or the left of you on the red carpet, even if you're first, yep. that they're not going to get up before you yep. and have on with the same answers to the same questions. And that's the other thing, like that model, which, you know, it is old world now, it's like you had access to this certain person for a few minutes and you were really only allowed to ask a few certain questions about the particular interest which is going to benefit the selling of tickets to which, the thing. which goes into that funnel again, right? Yeah. And I'm finding with this series it's so nice and freeing to be yeah. able to say to the Madden Brothers, hey, I want to talk about your music but I actually want to talk about this entire full circle you've done mm. through your music to land you at this brand new album and they go, oh, yeah, like we can totally talk about that entire journey and how 
part of their motivation for starting their own label is because they never had any great mentors when they were 19 and 20 in this crazy music world. Yeah. And you don't hear those stories every day. And so I'm loving bringing those stories to light and just throwing, you know, throwing the gates open to a conversation that could lead anywhere and end it. up anywhere. You, are you sure you don't want a career in reality television? You've used the word journey twice in this conversation. For people playing the drinking game, they'd be doing, they'd be doing a shot right now. Oh, no, I'm so Spiro. We're having, we're having such a connection here. We really are. It's so authentic. <laughs> B-E, so it's A-U dot B-E dot, dot Yahoo, Yahoo dot com. There's oh. a seven in there. Sure. Dot com. <laughs> We think. <laughs> Just Google Maz Compton Chatterbox. It'll come up. <laughs> that was Maz Compton. A quick, quick Google search. <laughs> we edited about four minutes of Google searching out of that. We'll find you her talk show. <laughs> it's not far away. Um, I hope your week was good. Uh, my week was uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I think the thing you need to remember about there's, there's a few things about relationships that I've come to learn in my time of being in them, being out of them, being in them with the varying levels of commitment and then being out of them with varying levels of, you know, ending of, you know, certain relationships. And um, that is uh, there's no such thing as the one. There's just the one who's willing to work on it with you. And working on it with you also means working on the bits where um, you're in the wrong, working on the bits where it sucks and it sucks for a couple of days and just remembering that it's not always going to be like that and that you need to remember what it is that you're there to do and if in my case be man enough to go okay this is why you are reacting in this way this is my part in it how can i fix my part in it i can't fix your part but i can fix my part and so this week where there was a, there was a bit of that and uh, it was launch week, so a lot of stress, a lot of extra work happening around the ranch um, with launch week, getting the show out, and uh, it all paid off. We debuted to massive numbers, so thank you, everyone that watched Bachelor this week. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun making it. Uh, we all worked very, very hard. I think you'll agree it looks great, and I, uh, I'm so grateful to everybody that joined in on Twitter on Wednesday night to be a part of the show on Twitter. Um, thank you so very, very, very much. Um, we're back again this Wednesday, so I know a lot of people tweeted saying they'd never listened before, but I asked them to listen, so they listen. so thank you. Also, a big thank you to everybody that sent a photo of where they're listening to the show. I got some fantastic pictures, people in London, people in British Columbia, people in, in Brisbane, so many wonderful places that people go on hikes and listen to the show or listen to the show at work. I'm just so stoked. If you just want to send me a quick snap uh, or tag me in an Instagram photo or whatever you want to do, uh, it really makes my day. It absolutely makes my day if you just set a quick, because you got a phone in your hand right now, just turn it take a photo of what you're looking at as you're listening to the show um, because it, you know, it, it's really great. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I went to a fantastic wedding on the weekend. Uh, there's a lot of, I got really fired up this week. I went on a show called Studio 10, which is like a morning panel show. And um, I got super fired up at some of the panel and actually one person in the audience, which I wasn't too proud of, um, over our current conservative liberal government in Australia celebrating two years of no boats. Look how many lives we've saved. 
that what our Navy's been doing in my name, because I'm an Australian citizen and so they're doing it in my name, they're turning people who are desperately in need of help and refuge away in the open sea and turning them back to hostile ports where they've left fucking nothing behind. And there's nothing but fear and uncertainty awaiting them. And um, I got super fired up because I feel very passionately about um, that everyone's a human and no matter what colour of your skin or which deity you choose to believe in or not believe in, all you want is the same thing as everybody else. You want three meals a day, you want a safe place to sleep at night and you want your kids to do a little better than you did. That's pretty much it. We're all the bloody same, man. And you and I are that terrified mother on a boat in the South China Sea. And I just, I just got really quite infuriated and quite flabbergasted. Um, but I was really kind of reassured by this wedding I went to yesterday. It was an extraordinary wedding. Um, it was uh, one side of the family was uh, Egyptian. The other side of the family was Greek. Um, so he went to a, a Coptic Christian church, which is like the oldest, most ancient sect uh, of uh, Christianity. I think AD 42, I think they go as far as back. Roman Catholicism didn't start till like 285. So wrap your head around that. Uh, the ceremony, the wedding ceremony itself is pretty much unchanged in about 2000 years. So it's all, it's all very, uh, very interesting. There's anointing and there's crowning and there's all kinds of interesting stuff. The church smells fantastic, that brilliant incense. Um, but looking around the church yesterday, uh, certainly at some of the older faces, people who'd given up life in a familiar country of, of Egypt or, or Greece and risked everything to come to a completely unfamiliar country with nothing that reminds them of home whatsoever. Nobody looks the same. None of the food's the same. None of the birds are the same. Nothing sounds the same or smells the same. None of their friends, nobody. And they came here and they worked their balls off to give their kids a better life. And last night, you know, one of those kids, two of those kids got married and it was brilliant. It was so, so brilliant. And there was drums and there was partying and there was all these fantastic traditions and, 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 and wonderful cultural references that everyone in the room was into. And, oh, man, it was just, it was bloody great. And it just reminded me when I looked at the joy on these faces of these, these weathered faces that had given up so much and worked so hard to give these kids their chance and seeing that chance come to life in front of their eyes, it just made my heart glow, man. And it made me thank my parents for bringing me to this country. And it made me thank everything about this country in Australia that has that is here for everyone to enjoy. And it made me just hope that people who feel real funny in the tummy about immigration or brown people generally, anyone that's not white and straight, is just... It's going to be okay because, as a general rule, people are awesome and people only want to bring nothing but value and joy to your world and share the wonderful things about their culture with your culture because they're proud and, and they go, this bit is great where we all do this dance and we do this clapping thing. Come and join in because it is. It's fucking great. And if you're busy sitting on a bus stop shouting at a brown kid, which I saw a video of this week. There's this poor kid in Brisbane. Um, this couple yelling 
at this kid. He's 14 and he's a bit brown and they're telling him to go the fuck home. Man, you're really missing out and your world is real small and there's so much love and joy and let's face it, fucking great food. So just take a breath and realize that everything you see on TV is only there to make you watch more TV, okay? Everything you see on the internet is just there to get you to click more shit on the internet. It gets what makes you click more, things that make you afraid. So just try and wrap your head around the fact that you're being misrepresented what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is cultures from all over the planet congregate in this beautiful country of Australia to make it an extraordinary place. And then we're really lucky. We're really lucky. Um, let me tell you about my guest today. Boy, she's amazing. My guest today is Madison Messina. You can find her on Twitter at Ask Miss Madison. Now, just so you know, if you want to find out more about Madison, a quick Google search will quickly tell you what I'm about to tell you. Uh, Madison defines herself as a prostitute, a porn star, a sex therapist, a sex educator, and a sex work advocate. Um, she's a very well-educated woman. She's very, very clever. She brings a diverse and very interesting perspective to a part of society that we like to pretend doesn't exist in many ways. And she was just absolutely wonderful. Uh, I reached out to her and, and she was kind enough to come around. Um, she and I had a rather robust conversation and a non-sensationalized conversation about how she ended up doing what she does, uh, the role of sex workers in our society, um, assisting with the disabled and, and things like this. And she and I spent a long time talking about the effect of pornography and hardcore pornography as default sex education for a generation of young people. Now, regardless of how you feel in the tummy about prostitutes, I'm using that word because Madison uses that word to describe herself. Okay, I'll use the word sex workers. Regardless of how you feel about sex work and sex workers and people that use sex workers, um, I really implore you to have a listen to this conversation because it, it may shift your perspective as to what you might know and not know. Um, Madison has a very new and very excellent podcast, which is out now uh, on the, the Mamma Mia network. It's called The Prude and the Porn Star. It's basically Madison and uh, one of the team at Mamma Mia. I believe she married the first man he, she ever had sex with. And so her and Madison have this conversation from opposite ends of the spectrum, as you could say. Uh, so you can find that podcast, uh, The Prude and the Porn Star. You can find it just by searching in the app you're listening to this on. But this isn't a uh, titillating chat whatsoever. This is very matter of fact, and I think it's uh, no matter how you feel about porn, no matter how you feel about sex work and sex workers, I really encourage you to just have a listen to this conversation and perhaps open your ears to a perspective you may not have considered. Um, it's a very important conversation to have, particularly in this age with every kid with a smartphone and a tablet um, getting exposed to hardcore pornography from as young as eight 11 in in most cases all right just picture that your 11 year old kid has seen hardcore porn and has that implanted in their brain as the default norm of what sex should be like so we really need to have the conversation and uh it starts with listening so you can sit there and uh, on your walk or your hike or your workout or your laundry or your dishes or, or whatever and uh, and enjoy this no one has to know that you're listening to uh, 
me and Madison have this really great conversation. Madison was so cool. She came around with her girlfriend and uh, uh, totally fell for Frankie, my dog. And uh, we had a really great chat and a nice cup of tea. And um, I'm super, super grateful she turned up. You can find her on Twitter at Ask Miss Madison. If you like what you heard, please let her know. Just before we get started, a quick trigger warning. Part of this conversation does cover the darker side of the industry, including a conversation about sexual violence um, using words, single-syllable words that describe that. So if uh, that's a trigger for you, when you hear us talking about the dark side of the industry, if you skip forward about four and a half, five minutes, you'll come out on the other side uh, nice and safe. Okay. Enjoy this conversation with Madison Messina. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Welcome to uh, to Rancho Relaxo, and uh, I apologise in advance for Frankie is getting very excited over oh, there. Oh, he's adorable. With Beck, he's uh, probably going to make very good friends with you. And um, and Audrey's probably going to roll in in about fifteen minutes or so. So nice. he'll he'll go crazy one more time. Oh, good. But thanks for coming around. I'm stoked no. we can do this. Yeah, this is awesome. This is great. Sure. I literally, forty minutes ago, not even thirty five minutes ago, I was sitting in a big sales lunch at Channel Ten oh. in a fancy suit, um, <laughs> talking to clients. Big change about. Um, and this is why a Bachelorette's going to be awesome. <laughs> Right, get out of the suit. Nice. Here I am with you. Is, uh, did you grow up in Sydney? I did. Yeah, local girl all my life. Which part of Sydney? Um, uh, well, I started off in Roselle for the first half, and then we moved out to the suburbs at Pennant Hills for the rest of my teen. So Ro- Roselle is kind of near in- Balmain. Oh, okay, on the inner western mm. ed- edge a yeah. bit. Okay, so on the other side of the Anzac Bridge. Yeah, I would ride past it on the way to Batchy. Oh, oh, yeah, when see. we were at Hunters Hill, I'd ride my bike from here to there. Yeah, yeah it was good. Nice. And then growing up for you, that's like BMXs and, and eucalypts everywhere. Well, yeah, it was awesome. Pennant Hills was great because I, being a tomboy, I used to, you know, go mountain bike riding through the bush all the time and um, so much bush walking. And I actually had to, um, my parents' house was in sort of like a little commune section in the middle of Lane Cove National Park with only one road in and out. So A, a commune? Like, well, it was kind of like it, not, not so much a commune, but just a little tiny like community that was separate from the rest of the suburb with one bush road to go in and out to get to our home. So every year we would get um, evacuated or that that road would get cut off from yeah. the bushfires. And this isn't it a Smurf village cool. place, is it? No, no, I don't think so. Oh, Rosie was telling me about there's like a Smurf village out there somewhere. Uh, no, no, no. no. This is just, yeah, just regular homes but just quite isolated. Well, so you'd get evacuated when the bushfires would come? Yeah, yeah, pretty much every year because we lived on the top of a hill in Lane Cove National Park uh-huh. and so the fires would always come up the hill and take everyone swimming That's pools. That's going to be scary as a oh, kid. Well, not really. You just kind of learn to deal with it. You always had like your little box packed for, um, you know, the things that you needed to, your treasures to take from, like, when you had an emergency. And apart from that, you just sort of embraced it. Like I, I saw so many fires. It was, I don't know. A box of treasures. Yeah. How yeah. do you explain to a kid, hey, one day, everything in this room could be gone. Pick two things. 
<laughs> pretty much. But that's, yeah, that, that's pretty much like, because we, it was never a, um, it was just a fact of life. So it was never something that was traumatizing. Yeah. We just knew summer came, the fires were going to come, and uh-huh. we should be prepared. It was. Right. Yeah. And so, cool. how old were you when you were like, yeah, Pant Hills, maybe not? <laughs> as soon as I got there, <laughs> as soon as I got there, because raising, um, being raised in Roselle, um, and having the city life, like you know, up until when I was nine, like I knew what crack pipes looked like, I knew what bongs looked like. Um, there was a lot of gay and lesbians around us. It was such a, um, an like a, I don't know, a cultural experience for me. And then going out to suburbs in, you know, to a Catholic school where you've got all these kids that didn't know that drugs existed, didn't know that gays and lesbians existed. It was like a massive culture shock. And that was something that came with no explanation from anyone. It was just, hey, city kid, now you're in the suburbs. Mm. Um, that was just, yeah, very full on. So... Beck, feel free to dog whisper him as much as you want. <laughs> feel free to just, you know, give him a bit of a no or, or give him a little pinch on the neck if you want him to, you know, you know how, if you want to, you know, you know how to do it. Well, he got, oh my goodness, he was humping, he was humping last night. Is he When he humps in front of Gigi, he humps in front of Gigi and Gigi's so hilarious. She goes, Frankie, it's Tuesday. It's not even hump day yet. <laughs> She's, you know, she's 12. She's hilarious, hilarious kid. So how did your parents, I mean, so for, what, did, what did you folks do? Um, my mum worked for um, a pharmaceutical company um, and my dad was an engineer. Okay. Mm. So academic kind of types. Yeah, yeah. So they were, serious so corporate. it wasn't just, I'm guessing with academic parents, they would have told you exactly what the glass pipes were. Oh, yeah. Well, see, I, I don't even know if it was them that told me. I yeah. just think it was, you know, when you're – because Roselle was kind of um, slummy at that stage. So you hang out and talk to other kids. You mm. kind of just know. I, I don't remember ever being told what they were, mm. but I always knew. Yeah. It was just a, that type of environment. Was it ever a temptation? Oh, no. No, yeah. no, no. Never. What did it mean, though? What, what, what was it about that that you didn't want a part of? Um, what do you mean? Like, about the drugs? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, I was nine. I just, it never even occurred to me that that would be something I would yeah. do. Yeah, no, wow. no, because I, I didn't even, <laughs> you would have picked it up. Oh, not necessarily, I didn't know what weed was. I just, I just had this, this enormous idea to escape, even if it was within my own body. Mm. Like, how can I just, how can I numb whatever the hell's going on. Yeah. See, I used to do that a lot with Fantasyland when I was younger. Yeah. I'd just sit there and stare out the window or create these huge imaginary worlds. Yeah. And I would go there. So maybe I just never needed the drugs. I just, I found my own way there. Well, you, hang on. Are you saying as a young woman you used imagination? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What happened in your fantasy world? Controversy. Everything. I, I used to um, sit there and, you know, plan out in my backyard because in... In the city, my backyard was a concrete box, mm. basically. And so I would, I would plan out, you know, if I could make my um, the perfect playground, what would that look like? Um, where else I could go? I used to be a bit of a um, cat burglar type person because we lived in terrace houses. So I used to go and escape into, break into other people's homes and check out what they were up to and I'd imagine their lives. And would you nick anything or just go have a look? I, I, I stole a cat once. That's a significant theft? It's a significant, yeah. I stole it because I, um, I was 
I'd broken into a home, I saw all of the drug paraphernalia and I saw this little kitten and I couldn't find any... I went through the house looking for cat food because I'm like, this cat needs to eat. Uh. Came to the realisation that the cat wasn't being cared for. So it was like, well, you're coming home with me. Uh And um, then later on that evening, the owner of the cat came and knocked on the door and was like, I think you have my cat. And because um, I can't remember, I might have even left a note and said, like, I've confiscated a kitten. Like, you can come talk to me about it. But <laughs> so I'm where did this happy. sense, because that, you know, unless nobody does that kind of thing regularly. All right. But mm. where you clearly you had a sense of this is not OK. Where did yeah. that come from? This idea of wanting to right or wrong? Yeah, I, I don't know. Because obviously, you know, I was, I, and I can't remember if I, I would have been seven or eight. So not really conscious yet. Yeah. But it just, it was not on. Like I, I wasn't judgmental about the fact that there were drugs there. But um, the fact that there was a kitten not having their needs met, that wasn't okay for me. Yeah. You know, you want to do the drugs, that's cool, but feed your cat. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I, yeah, I just stole it. And it was just, I don't know, one of those things I did. There was no no thought pattern to so it. So when you roll into the Catholic school, you're the girl from, by like now Roselle. I was just pointing out to yeah. folks who aren't from Sydney, Roselle is rather fancy <laughs> yeah. now because you know it's been ep- epically gentrified. Yeah, you, know, you could have picked up a, a shitty rundown warehouse for a hundred and ten thousand bucks. Now it'd go for three mil mm-hmm. um, quite easily. You know, in the space of twenty years, quite easily. Yep. So when you roll into this Catholic school out in the suburbs where everything's very leafy green and safe. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you, was that the first time you were aware, oh, I'm a little different? Yeah, totally. Well, and because in the city I wasn't any different. No, no. Because everyone, you know, we're all the same. It was our culture. And, um, yeah, moving out into the suburbs and it was just the things that the kids would talk about. Like I was so much more um, worldly and mature in comparison to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone was all about Sunday school and we had to pray all the time. And it was just a really sheltered. It's still like beautiful experience for kids. But coming from my background mm. with no one saying, hey, maybe not talk about gays or drugs. Because mm. um, this is back in, you know, this is the 90s. Mm. So society wasn't very open. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, mad culture shock. How... How did you go with the um, with the religious aspect? Because that's asking a lot for a kid who's never, if you haven't grown up with it, yeah. to suddenly go, oh no 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 no, this magical person came down and this person got pregnant. There was no sex involved, and um, you know they were able to bring you know dead back to life and all kinds of stuff. You go, well, you know. Yeah, I, I was always because um, I did have a um, a priest that I I knew well because um, I did go to a Catholic school in the city, oh, okay. but it was, it was a totally different experience not not as um, not as closed or mm. sheltered, and you know my um, my priest was really lovely and he. Like he used to tell me these stories because um, I'd go back into the seminary and, and help and things like that because I just I saw him as a bit of a father figure. Mm. And um, he would tell me about um, spirituality and about, you know, how we don't need to judge other people and how the story of the tongues can also mean that's why we all speak different languages, but that can also mean how we interpret things in different ways. Okay. And neither of us are more right or wrong. And so that was like... In it's a, a fairly moderate view of... Phenomenal for a Catholic priest. Yeah, like wow. really. And so I'd, I'd grown up with that already. And so going into a more traditional Catholic school with the the hymns and the sacraments all of a sudden, because in the, in the city school we didn't need to do our sacraments. It wasn't that strict, but 
in Pendant Hills. Everything was done. And um, that was a bit, I don't know, I just found it all very close, a bit close-minded and, yeah. and just, you know, sheltered in comparison to... Did you talk to your folks about it? Um, I don't really remember if I did yeah. or not. But, you know, I found it very... Because it was quite isolating. Going into a new environment when you're trying to meet friends and you're mm. very different and you don't know why and you're, like, little, so you don't have the perspective to know. Yeah. It, um, yeah. It was, uh, I think I was about... when I, th- I think I was about, I was about 11 because I, you know, never questioned it because mm. that was just kind of what it always was. But I think cause I was somewhere, about, somewhere around 11 and it was... Uh, just funnily enough... It was it was around masturbation when I was about eleven, and I was suddenly like, "This is amazing! I'm going to do this all the time." And then someone says, uh, "That thing that you do, you're going to go to hell for it." <laughs> but hang on, I thought I was created in the same image. I thought everything that I do is from. Uh... So anyway, unfortunately, uh, God came second. God. <laughs> That's all right. But that's what it was. It was when my sexuality started to kick in and when I was about 11 um, and I was being told that this is a bad thing. Yeah. How? You're also telling me that I'm created in the image of this thing. How can I, who am doing a thing that is, you know, it happened by accident one day. It's not like I absolutely went out of my way to do it. It's like, what is my body doing? Whoa, that feels nice. Yeah. You know, it's not like I deliberately went out of my way. And so in my brain, I'm like, well, this is what my body's supposed to do. How can this thing be a bad thing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Exactly. And that's the, you know, the point where we're starting to really question the world and question our identity in relation yeah. to everything. So I find it so unique that you just attached religion and masturbation <laughs> so seamlessly. That's amazing. I've had a long time to think about it, Madison. I didn't think of it at the time like that. At the time, I was like, you're making, you're wanting me to feel horrible about this thing that I've just started doing that feels really nice. It doesn't make sense mm-hmm. that I should feel so horrible about it. Something's up. Yeah, exactly. And it was only years later that I was like, oh, well, of course. So it was when I was about 11 and I was like, mm. mm-hmm. I got to play in the band. That was oh, fun. That's good. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, I was just like, uh, be nice to everybody. Treat other people how you want to be treated. It's pretty much. Yeah, pretty the much golden it. rule. It's pretty much it. Mm. It's pretty much it. So through <laughs> high school, um, where you, when, when you're little Madison, in, like, sorry, like 12, 13, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, um, by then, I knew I wanted to be a sex worker. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I first found out about my kind when I was about... I was still living in the city, um, so it would have been about eight, nine, just before we moved, and I saw a street worker in King's Cross, beautiful lady. She just... Her presence commanded the street. To me, she was like an angel, and I was besotted and was like, definitely, like, Mum, I'm going to be that when I grow up. And Uh Mum's like, I don't think so. That's Lady of the Night. And refuse to talk anymore which is the worst thing you can do to a child because then I went on this huge research campaign mm-hmm. and needed to read everything I could and so yeah. um well they were the yeah. first like they say it's the world's oldest profession but you know these are women that were the first people to really take control of 
themselves financially. They had the first financial independence. Yeah. If it is the oldest profession, they were the first women to not have to rely on men for money. Exactly. And um, the, the first ones to read and be allowed in public like, libraries. Figure out not to, how to not have babies all the time. Yes, the first ones to have contraception. Yeah. You know, there was there was a lot of you if you look into the history of it, sex workers have been sort of, you know, pioneering independent women that have got to live without um, the patriarchy. And, and pioneering independent women are terrifying to white men. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget that. <laughs> terrifying. Yes. So let's demonise them. Yes. Wow, so eight. Mm. Wow. What yeah. was it that attracted you? Because I'm guessing by then you hadn't really kind of put the, well. Yeah, like, I didn't know about the sex No, part. so what was it that attracted you? No, just the independence yeah. of all of that in the history. Because I, I was reading history books about, you know, we were the first women to learn how to read and the libraries, the education component to it, the fact that we got to live independently. We, you know, we weren't, we didn't need to get married yep. or become nuns. Yep. It was like, this was the third occupation that a woman could have. Yeah. And I was like, that just sounds like me. That's awesome. You know, I was a nerd and I wanted to have an independent life and, and go my own way. And so I. And when know. did you discover that? Oh, that's why mum made that face. Uh, that, see, that wasn't until I would have been about 14 ah. when I, I started realizing there is a sex component to it. But I never saw, I never saw the sex component as sleazy because I'd, I'd already had all of this, um, you know, back perspective of it being a companionship and an intimacy based you know, sort of unique relationship in a way. To me, it was never just sex. So I didn't get the... I never understood the stigma and why that was attached to it. Companionship as in the the transaction is for a certain period of time, there is an intimacy that otherwise is only ever got mm. through all sorts of groundwork in the regular world. But for a certain period of time, for a transactionally purpose this intimacy is available. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. that intimacy can look in, well, in many different, take many different forms. Exactly right. You exactly. hear the stories about, seriously, you hear stories about blokes who just sit there and talk. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But I see, I think there, um, whilst it does happen, it, it's not as common as no. I think some people like oh, to. Of course, but it is. A, um, but it, it does happen. Yeah. But talking is actually a very large component uh, to the job because it is about making that person feel like they have a safe person that they yeah. can be vulnerable with and the sex is usually it's, it's so much smaller than what everyone says so you're 14 years old and yeah. you go ah right which is I think pretty much about the time certainly that's about the time like when I had like my first kiss and first you know hands down the front of jeans and things mm-hmm. like that it was all very very exciting um, when I was about about that age yeah. were you sort of exploring at that point in your in your life yeah when I was 14 was that was when I had my first kiss and started becoming active it all kind of happened at the same time 14 was a very moving year yeah um with lots of changes so yeah definitely but I also I I realized um I don't know if I was four was I 14 I would have been early 14 that's when I realized that I was attracted to women because I got that um, all the girls were talking about that feeling they'd get with boys, which I never experienced, and I got that with a girl in class, and um, and so that was confusing. And then the whole that I needed to be a sex worker, and I knew by then I'd have to have sex with men, and so I thought, well, let's go. And I actually became a slut after that in my teenage years, because I was doing research and trying to learn how to have sex well. 
Quite, quite a unique um, teenagehood to look back on because I was, I was so strategic even though I don't quite, like I didn't realise, I wasn't really conscious yet about what I was doing but I was definitely on a, on a path heading somewhere. Talk to me about that word you just used. What word? Which one? Strategic. What slut. word? Slut. Oh, I love the word slut. A slut to me is um, an emancipated woman. So a woman that um, has sex just because she wants to have sex. If we have a look at most women, um, say, you know, wives, girlfriends, they have sex in exchange for a relationship and fidelity and all of that. And I'm not saying there is anything wrong with that. That is great. But a slut is someone who just wants sex. And, um, you know, I think there's, you know, like um, this week, Carla, my prude... Um, she got prude shamed and I was as equally abhorrent about that as when I get slut shamed because I don't think that we need to, you know, we exist on an entire um, paradigm, like an entire equilibrium. Oh, there's a reason that the rainbow flag is the rainbow flag. I talk uh, yeah. about it all the time. There's a spectrum. There's never day or night. There's mm. an ever, ever-changing gradient between between dark and light. Mm-hmm. There really, really is. And anyone who thinks it's one or the other is clearly not yeah, self-aware exactly. when they look inside themselves. <laughs> no, really. And, and sexuality as well, as you mentioned, sexuality is, and I, I talk about this a lot, sexuality is such a fluid thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, you literally can wake up one day and go, hmm, feel like this. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then a month later you go, actually, no. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Definitely. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, mm. so. Because then you just so you just use the word slut in a positive way, but then you say slut shaming. Well, yeah, because you know slut is is used these days as an insult, mm. and really it's just a term for you know a particular type of woman who approaches mm. sex in her own way. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I, I think the term's neutral. I think all terms are neutral. But in society, we like to add them and, and use them in derogatory ways. And mm. so quite often you can't speak about slut unless you're going to bring up slut shaming or talk about, you know, how that term is being used incorrectly. Mm. It's much the same with um, the prostitute. That's often used in a way to degrade me. But I've never been um, insulted by it. Like one of Beck's friends, when we first got together called me a, um, a prostitute or was it a whore whore and Beck was like I can't tell you what she said because it'd offend you so much and when I found out it was whore I was like it's just my job title <laughs> how, how could I be offended by that I was just, it's just a word it's just a word Frankie's very excited because yeah. Audrey's just come in 
So, okay, so you've just used words that as uh, as a man who's trying his darndest to outgrow his all-male upbringing mm-hmm. and trying to be as aware of as I possibly can um, that conditioning that was put upon me uh, and that I bought into from mm-hmm. being one of four boys going to an all-boys school and only ever knowing male friends and the only woman in my life was my mum who was pretty much a very masculine kind of person. Right. Um, as I try to you know, outgrow these things and try and learn as much as I possibly can, I just know there's some words I just don't use. Just don't use. And you've used four. <laughs> uh, and so I get, you know, a bit like... And the, these words, you know, and we've seen a lot of time, like in uh, particularly in the media and, um, you know, mm. on various, uh, you know, television networks, particularly when there's like a debate or something, people will use the word prostitute and some people freak out. Yeah. Some people will use the word whore and freak out. Other people will go, I'm a whore. What do you want to know? Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, could, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, where to look. <laughs> it's one of those things like I, I, I say now publicly, I... I'm comfortable with the term prostitute. I'm comfortable with the term whore. To me, they're neutral. And if someone is using that to degrade me, then I've now got the, because I'm comfortable with who I am, I can just laugh back at them and be like, that's great. You know, you work in the army. You know, this doesn't make any sense. It cannot be an insult. It's just a job title. Um, And so in a way, I think doing things like that helps take out some of the pain and helps break down some of the stigma because it's normalising the word. Um, But... Um, that's just me and, and I'm privileged because I am one so I can go out there and question the stigma and own it as much as I want but when someone else attempts to do so they will get you know if you were to go around calling prostitutes whores you would be slammed by the sex work community they all like to say sex worker but I don't like the term sex worker what is that? I just think it's really I don't know I, I don't think it matches really what we do yeah um, it says that the main thing that we do is sex, and I don't think that's accurate. Um, I I just don't like it. it. It's it's very synonymous now with sort of you know online bullying, and because they, they you get really passionate sex work activists, but then they go crazy. Like I just I don't like the term. Um, I think it's more of a political term. Right. Um, and that's just all my personal opinion. Um, most of the sex industry will say they like sex work. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in prostitute corner. That's my preferred corner. <laughs> prostitute corner. Yes. Welcome back to prostitute corner with Madison Osher. <laughs> so you say, uh, so let's, let's talk about that. Because, uh, you know, I uh, have never uh, paid for any kind of, besides an actual massage. Uh-huh. I don't think that's the only time I think I've ever paid anybody to touch my body. Right. Uh, and that was with a very clear distinction of uh, boundaries. Right, um, yes. So I really, truly, duly, truly, truly do have no uh, experience whatsoever. Okay. The closest I ever came was yeah. in Rockhampton. We were doing a Channel V show years ago. Yeah. And um, some of the ladies who worked at a, it was a, had a very classy name, uh, Shaft 8, I think it was called. <laughs> Or the mine shaft or something. Queensland's at the time, love only it. ever legal brothel. And they're yes. like, oh, we really love the show. This is really great. Uh, what are you doing? I just, oh, we usually, you know, once we bump out, we have a crew dinner and then we've got to drive off to, you know, Cairns tomorrow. So we have a, they said, oh, you'd come around. We'll give you one for free. <laughs> and I stood there for a second. I went, what? Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> so that's the closest I ever came. That's the close. So all I know about that kind of work, mm. like probably many people, 
I have learned from film and television. Yes. So what am I getting wrong? Ah, well. Besides everything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I think, you know, like the, the main stereotypes, they, they talk about, you know, how we're, we're forced into it. That seems to be the biggest one. People like to take our consent away. Um, and these days they're even starting to say things like we're socioeconomically coerced into prostitution, which basically means you had to do it to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. But you can have that same argument across every single um, occupation. Like, you know, I, I've worked as a conciliator. I only did that because I had to pay my bills. I didn't actually like going in and resolving people's disputes. Um, so that's the, the biggest one because um, they also like to link us in with sex trafficking um, so there's there's so much more. I, I would say, you know, most there is sex trafficking, but that's a, a completely separate thing amongst people that identify as sex workers or prostitutes or escorts or all of that. They're choosing to based on their own life circumstances. Um, the next thing I think, oh, well, there's just so much because it's such a normal world to me. Um, I think people think that it's really hardcore sex-based and that it's our client does to us whatever they want. Like there's this whole, a lot of people say prostitutes sell their bodies. So I think that people think that our clients get to rent our bodies and use our bodies for their pleasure. And that's not true. Um, you know, even if we've got like a list of services of things that we will do and are happy to provide, that is all um, dependent on how we're feeling and what the rapport is like with that individual client. So a client could show up and book me wanting, you know, squirting female ejaculation ahead of time and I may not just be in the mood for that and therefore that's just something that doesn't happen and he doesn't get to complain or be upset about that because it's it still is mutual consensual sex in the confines of the transaction. So we have a lot more power in the bookings than what I think greater society thinks. Um, what are the other main stereotypes? What do you well, tell me? What well, do you, okay, what do you so think you've already, about you've already addressed two two really big ones mm. in that you're not there by choice, mm -hmm. or you have been forced into this, mm -hmm. or I guess the other stereotype is, oh well, her relationship with her father must be horrible. Oh yes, we all have daddy issues. Yeah, some some of us do, some of us don't. I think it's the same with you know every. Um, Every occupation, whether you've had a good childhood or not, you're going to grow up and be something. Um, I don't know if we have higher rates of it in sex work. Um, the statistics around it indicate no, but it kind of changes. So mm. who really knows? And also, too, though, um, I've never really understood what that means. Like if you've got daddy issues and you're looking at sex work to try and fulfill something, it's... Um, Do you find a lot of the critique of sex work mm. comes from people who are externalising their own pain? I think so. I think a lot of people um, can't deal with, you know, for, for one reason or another, either they're repressed or they've had their own circumstance and they try to project that onto us. I mean, at the end of the day, a, a sex worker um, is someone who is sexually confident, who, you know, is able to separate sex from relationships and emotions and all of that and is happy to use it as a business transaction. And I think that intimidates a lot of people. 
um, because they just can't. And they, they seem to even pull back and be like, I don't understand how that could not be cheating if you're in a relationship and that couldn't. Whereas to a sex worker, we're like, oh, it's just like, it's literally just my job. It's about as interesting as sending a fax. It's just what I do. Um, so I think that's where they just trying to throw in, you know, personal insults and mm. stuff. Because I see this all, all the time on the, you know, on Twitter, for instance, the cesspool of humanity. Um, they all go, everyone goes in there and fights. And, and, and some of the people that are trying to um, take our rights away and say that prostitution is harmful say the most horrible things. And I just think this, it's not based on academic or, or reason anymore. It's based on people's emotional responses to the fact that we exist. Mm. And therefore... Have you had people try and save you? Um, uh, yeah. In my earlier career, I did, because I've been a sex worker now for 16 years. So when I was young, you'd have all the... And it was it was usually men in terms of clients that would want to come in and, you know, I'm going to look after you and you don't have to sell your body anymore. And you're like, you're just trying to get me to settle down with one client. Not many, no thanks. Um, and... There's, there's really not, not too much. And, and the other thing is I'm friends with, we've got um, some people in the community, they're, they're actually, they're against so much sex work. They're pushing for the Nordic model, but we call them the aunties and I'm actually friends with them. And these are the people that normally come in and try and rescue you, but they've never attempted to rescue me. I think I'm now so public and okay with mm. everything that everyone's given up. What's the Nordic model? Up. The Nordic model is where they want to decriminalise the selling of sexual services, but criminalise the purchasing of it. So they want to make all of our clients um, criminals. Mm. And I am dead set against that, even though I got some of them are my friends that are pushing for this model and I understand why they think that's going to help. It's not going to help because when our clients have the potential to become criminals, we can't um, vet them properly. We can't, you know, take appropriate security measures. Um, it means that sex work and prostitution is going to go further underground, access to services, um, you know, police and medical things. Uh, that's going to be pushed back because no sex worker is going to want to identify herself as a sex worker if she knows that then potentially people can track her yeah. for her clients so that her clients can get a fine. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not, to me, that's not why, right. Why, in your opinion, is the conversation about sex work pretty much, from my observation, always centred around the woman mm. and never really around the fella that's going in there? Well, and that's this is the whole this is the basis of why the Nordic model seems to be something that everyone wants to push and attach themselves to because they think that that's flipping that conversation. And I don't think it's really when it comes to sex work, I don't think we should be speaking about the clients. Um, that's not where the power in the industry is. The power in the industry are from the people that are working above the sex workers. So sex worker organisations, policies, our service providers, um, our advertisers, um, the people that run our security for us. That is an element in the sex industry that isn't looked at. It is completely unregulated and they're the power holders that are actually controlling things. Mm. Um so, and, and also too with sex workers, where now, particularly in New South Wales, in Australia, with thanks to the internet, we're all kind of privatising, where everyone's running their own business now. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it, it's good. I don't think the problem is the clients. And when we do have a violent client, um, 
we can go to the police with that at the moment because we're decriminalised. So we've got the same protections as everyone else right. with that. We don't need to add anything extra. Yeah. And um, I also just don't think there's anything wrong with purchasing sex if that's what you want to do. What would you say to people who are listening to this and just their brains are boggling with the concept of normalcy that this discussion is hopefully achieving mm -hmm. and they're challenged so immensely about not only people that um, are just challenged so immensely by people on both sides of the transaction. What would you say, in your opinion, mm. is the benefit of having uh, sex workers in the community? Well, oh, there's a lot. Um, you know, as sex workers, we spend time um, and we see disabled clients, which is one of the fallbacks that everyone goes back on. But quite often, when you've got someone with an advanced disability, they've never been touched without someone wearing latex gloves. And it's a sex worker that will go in there and will touch them and, and will help them have a sexually fulfilling life. I mean, a lot of those um, people their brains are still active and, and they have wonderful brains, but they just can't use their bodies. And then to have um, the pleasure of sex also taken away from them and the pleasure of touch because of their disability, it's so unfair. So that's one of the things that we do. I did not expect to get emotional right then. But, <laughs> yeah. I can, I don't know, but just to imagine, like, when we think about when someone is particularly quite severely disabled, mm. even as an able-bodied person, we look upon them and, uh, you know, I don't know, something happens in our base brain. It just goes... Mm. And there's a, a recoil, yeah. all right? But to just imagine that to never be touched by anyone not wearing a latex glove. Yeah. Like think of the nice, beautiful, yummy, warm fuzzies that run through you when you're stroked by someone you love. Could you imagine never going through your life feeling those chemicals released in your brain? Exactly. And then whenever you try and ask for something, they say, no, you look, you're dealing with enough with your disability. Shut up. And, and that to me is you know, heartbreaking. And, and that's one of the beautiful things that, you know, sex workers can provide as a service. Because quite often, you know, the, um, the caregivers, the ones that are going in to bathe um, and look after these people with disabilities, they're not comfortable because of safety and hygiene to take off their latex gloves and either bathe someone without wearing a glove. Um, whereas as a sex worker, this is what we do. We mm. are comfortable with that level of intimacy. And so we do feel whole in the community in that respect. Yeah. Um, but there's other things too, like um, I've had clients that, um, you know, are, are brilliant, lovely men, socially awkward, and because of their social awkwardness, you know, the little nerd guys that don't know how to approach women, don't know how to talk to people, a lot of them have never been kissed. And they come to me and, and, and get to experience what it's like to be with a woman, but more so what it's like to, you know, how to get confidence, how to approach women or what is it that we want to, you know, because they don't have that. We don't have the situation or, or schools or anywhere where people can go to to learn how is it that we can get attention from the opposite sex? What do I need to do? Um, you know, all that confidence building there. And that's what, you know, sex workers are achieving. Um, I've had a lot of experience with widowers who have been coming um, after their wives have died to help get through and, and, and prepare themselves for hopefully seeing another woman. But also, you know, the, the first time and one of my most memorable clients, um, he hadn't been with another woman since his wife had died. 
um, like three years before or something and he had been too scared to. And a charming, you know, man was going to be easily able to repartner but he was too scared to take that step because he didn't know how he would handle it. And in that moment when he did have sex with me, he broke down and was a mess and he, all he could do was cry for 40 minutes and he wanted to have that experience with a professional because I wasn't going to judge him. You know, I was there for him. I wasn't there because I was trying to get my rocks off or because I wanted anything from him. It was, you know, this different type of, you know, moving service. And he always knew that that first time was going to be hard. And so that's, you know, where is it? You're, des- you're, describing, you're describing three different scenarios that are probably nowhere near what people think. Mm. However... Does the does the darker side of it does it exist? Does the the side where the client maybe the maybe women aren't in such an organised situation, maybe they can't control their security, maybe they can't vet their clients, maybe they really are there because yeah. someone fucked them over with a visa. Does that stuff exist? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of darkness in the industry, and the industry does not like to speak about it. Um, we do have clients that um, do intentionally rape and hurt us we've we've had repetitive clients one of them a few years ago murdered um a colleague of mine and so that very much exists um it's it doesn't exist um like the the incidence and the prevalence of it is not what people in greater society think um it is not the job is not as dangerous as the media will say but what makes it dangerous is we have a list called the Ugly Mug List where we actually will track these clients that we think have the potential to be dangerous or they have been dangerous to us or we're a bit unsure. We add these clients' names to these lists, right? And that way any other sex worker can go and check their new clients against this list to see if this is a potential perpetrator. And right now that list is not available to every sex worker in Australia that wants to be on it and that to me is a real issue of darkness in the industry because it means that we actually have sex workers out there that are take that are at more risk of these perpetrators and these violent clients and it is because the owners of the list refuse to share that information and and that to me is just the darkest part of the industry. So why can't you like, well, launch an open source version of it? Um, no, well, it's, it's really difficult. The, the gatekeepers, the owners of the list, are keeping it under lock and key. Only, for instance, only 446 workers have access to this list. Does and they pay in, for the information? No. In New South Wales alone, there's 10,000 sex workers. So not enough people are on the list and the, the list situation is just so murky. And when you raise this publicly no one wants to do anything about it it's sort of this very hidden murky sort of underworld dynamic to the sex industry because I think even though we're decriminalized some people like to um, within the sex industry feel that you know they can get around with being a bit criminal and this is one of the direct impacts Mm. that we see in the sex industry. Have you ever had to help out a woman who's found herself in trouble? Who's been raped yeah just last month. I did yeah, I, I do that um, a lot. I probably only take one or two rape calls a year. Um, but the one just last month was tough because she wasn't allowed access to the list and the 
listening to sex worker rape stories, you start to realise that there's a, there's a profile to what an ugly mug is and the things that they would do. And this guy fit, like, I'm sure he would be on that list. And the fact that she was one of the sex workers he wasn't allowed to vet her clients, that to me is just, that's evilness and darkness in the industry. It's unnecessary. So what can, what can be done? I'm just going to keep speaking about it until the right people in the industry can open up and give all sex workers access to it. Um, I don't see a reason why any sex worker's life or safety is more important than another's. I think we're all equal. Um, so I'm just going to yeah, keep going with that protest. <laughs> so where's the, where's, the, uh, where's the Uber rating of, of clients? Where's the, or where's the, um, the Yelp uh, of clients? Where's yeah. that? Is it a mobile app? Is well, it, see, I, are there some countries that have that? Um, there are. Well, there are some, some countries though. their ugly mug list is literally just a, a website where it, all the names are published and they're out there in the open. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different discourse over the right way to do it. Should the list be a private list that you have to, you know, be a verified sex worker to get onto? Does it, you know, should it be something that's just publicly up there and available? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. All, all I know is every sex worker deserves access um, to that yeah, information. If it, was, if it was me, uh, I would probably go on Odesk or Upwork or something like that and just mm. hire a coder and just like, can you make this? It's as simple as sending a text message and mm. that adds the number and maybe even a picture. Yeah. And that when, as a, you know, your phone rings, you type the number into this app and if it says, you know, it just flashes up any kind of, you know, good or bad, it wouldn't cost that much and yeah. it would be free to do. And as long as you circulated it only within your circles, then there's... But as far as in my opinion, yeah. fuck yeah, make it public. If you're yeah. going to be a chrome magnon knuckle dragger, you may as well have the whole society know. <laughs> Publicly the cops shamed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody accused me of being far left today. <laughs> <laughs> well, on some things, I think just generally humans first. I think human beings, human mm. beings first. Um... So we've talked a bit about sexuality yeah. and, um, you know, the terms that we describe sexuality with and the terms mm -hmm. that we describe what you do with. You said you've been at this for 16 years. Mm -hmm. 16 years, so 2000, 2000, 2001? Yeah, 2001. Internet download speed's not, yeah. that, not that fast. Yeah. Now I can get streaming HD screaming angle, five-on-one porn at the flick of a switch. Mm. Have you noticed a difference in your clients since the uh, propagation of hardcore pornography online? Yeah, um, massive, massive difference. Um, these days, you know, we have a service now that's been evolved in the sex industry called Porn Star Experience. And that is an experience where you know, the, the sex worker is going to overact. Um, you're going to do very hardcore extreme things. Um, there's going to be very little talking or intimacy, very little foreplay. It's going to be hardcore action the entire time. The guy can come as much as he wants. You know, th that's there. So just the existence of that now, which I don't recall being there 16 years ago, Um is you know a sign there's a lot more requests for anal um there's the biggest the biggest thing that i 
I think that I'm starting to see because I, I don't really like to judge people on where their sexualities are going and, and we are seeing, I am seeing more extreme sexualities and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. What I see as a bad thing though is um, a lack of awareness over what consent body language looks like and what consent face looks like. And um, when we look at porn, we don't actually see that. The majority of porn actresses that indicate, if you look at their body language, they look like they're in pain or they look like they're not having fun. What that's doing is educating um, men into thinking that's what a woman looks like when she's really loving it. And I, as a woman, no, no, she's in, she's in pain. So we're teaching them the wrong message. And, and when they come up to me and um, and see me, I can't just rely on my body language to let them know that we're going to change on into something else. I need to become much more assertive and uh, speak my mind, which is fine for me, but not fine for the girl down the road who isn't a sex worker, who is your normal girl, which we know women aren't terribly um, vocal or assertive about what their boundaries or their wants and needs are in sex. So. Like we've got a bit of a, a, a mess here that we need to start looking at addressing. So tell me about body language. Tell me about what you know, what it what it looks like, or what it, you know. Mm. Um, well, you know, consenting body language is is it's fluid and relaxed. It, it's floppy. Um, whenever someone gets uptight or rigid, that means that you've pushed on a boundary, and whether you're hurting them or you're doing something that's uncomfortable with them. Um, that's a big difference. Um, and just the way a body moves, you know, whether they're fluid in their motions or they've gone through and, and stopped. And it's it's different from every person. It's, it's, not, it's not a matter of we, we can't necessarily say this is what consent looks like, but we can more educate on, on what consent doesn't look like. And a lot of the porn videos, because you, you'll see she'll be, you know, arching her back up and you can see veins pop out and, like, the look in her eye, that's the, you're, you're shaking your head because I can know you can picture it. <laughs> um, so that gagging thing showed up a couple of years ago and we're like, really? Guys are really into this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's even um, a new one um, where they come in their eyeball. Have you seen that? <laughs> I don't know, like, who brought, like, who thought of that? Someone Why? who's, probably <laughs> someone who's in the conjunctivitis business. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Um, we were talking about this uh, this morning, actually. Uh, a friend of a colleague of mine, mm. um, that's exactly what happened to her. Her boyfriend saw it on the porn. Therefore, he thinks, oh, I guess this is what girls are right into. Girls are right into getting their faces come on and getting come in their eye. Um, she, her eyeball swelled up so badly they had to go to the doctor. Yeah. She said to him, all right, as far as doctor's concerned, I can't speak English. You are going to explain to him what's going on. <laughs> so he had to explain to the doctor. And she's like, mm, uh, not English. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, because that, that brings up something for me. It's like when I look at porn sex, mm. I look at something that doesn't resemble intimacy whatsoever. Mm. It is two people Barely their genitals are touching. But that's yeah. it. Yes. No other skin on skin contact. Pretty the much. Biggest, most sensational, most erogenous organ in the body, the skin, has nothing to do with the transaction. Yes. Whatsoever. Um, and and you know, there is no 
glorious cadence of two bodies becoming one. No, it's like I'll just wait here until you jerk off and try to look excited. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And and that's all because, you know, in porn as a porn actress, we're all taught about camera angles and make yourself look good and this may turn into a still and, you know, don't, you know, block the view. And so when, you, when you're touching, when you're having real sex and you're, you're mushed up against your partner and your hands are everywhere, that doesn't look like good footage. You can't see anything. You, mm. you can't actually see it. So that's why in porn everyone is so far apart. But at the same time, that's not real sex. And I don't think there's a problem with the fact that porn isn't real sex. I mean, we've got James Bond movies and all that. You know, we know not to drive our car down a flight of stairs. Um, but we're not really giving the message and speaking out enough about how the fact that porn sex is actually just stunt sex. And mm. we have done it for a particular purpose, but it is by no way what you should be, you know, hoping to achieve, you know, as sort of a norm mastering yeah. to your sex life. Yeah, I was, I've heard it said that porn sex is to real sex as a bar fight is to the Matrix. Yeah, you know, pretty much. <laughs> in a bar fight, it's two hits, Yeah, pretty much. And then someone's being wrestled around on the ground and then the security there and it's all over. But, in the, you know, in a, in a movie, it's like someone's sliding across a bar and then this has happened and then someone does a backflip and mm -hmm. it's not what fights look like. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's stunt sex. Exactly. But, but now you've got, you know, this whole, this whole you know, generation now, it's the second generation of, of, of young men and women who their default sex education is porn. Yes. Yeah. What would what do you want to do about that? What yeah. can you do about that? What and should that, be done about it? Yeah, that's why we need to increase sex education and we need to start um, educating our kids at younger ages. I mean, the average first porn viewing is now 11 and um, kids have gotten around all of the filters. I'm, I'm not necessarily against censoring kids from porn, um, but... Kids are smarter than us at all of this IT and censoring things. They're now watching porn on someone else's phone, on the school bus, up the back of the schoolroom. Um, you know, we need to have teachers being able to be trained to how to address this because it's coming up so young. Sex education needs to start younger. It needs to talk about porn. It needs to educate kids and give them a framework about how that's just, you know, small snapshots of sexual fantasies being played out. It's not actually real sex. That's all it is. It's there for entertainment purposes. It's there for brainstorming purposes. And it's okay if you watch it, but don't expect your real sex life to look like that because that's professional sex. Um, and, you know, we've done, we've managed to do it successfully with, you know, those, those um, what is it, those video games and, you know, James Bond movies and things like that with kids. We've, te we've taught them media literacy. And so we need to do the same thing with yeah. porn and with sex. And also, too, I mean, porn is not just um, your traditional pornography anymore. It's also, you know, it's in ads, it's in music videos, it's, it's everywhere. We, you know, we've actually gone and for something that as a society we don't want to talk about, we found the way to make it so mainstream that it's literally we're surrounded yeah. by porn. And so we need to start addressing it. And, you know, the... The other impact that porn has is women are always depicted in a very certain way. Men always treat the women in that way. And is that something that we really need to be surrounding ourselves with? Aren't women worth more than their bodies or their ass and, you know, 
our pleasure is a little bit important too, I think. Yeah, I was, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, as a society, we talk a lot about birth, mm-hmm. nothing about death, heaps about food, but nothing about what happens to the food after we're done with it, mm-hmm. and not at all about sex. Mm-hmm. So these four things that make us human, getting born, dying, eating, pooping and, sh- and shagging, uh, we only ever really talk about, yeah. <laughs> you know, the fun, you know, the, it's just, but it, it makes us as human. It makes, you know, Cindy Gallup, who uh, was on the show mm. and she's been on the show twice now. Yeah. Um, she's of the opinion that um, uh, the way, the way people make love around the world is, is, is as different as how they are culturally, is as different as the way mm. they speak, is mm. as different as, you know, we, we're going to have to wrap up, but I did want to, you mentioned something very, very important to me and, and, and um, I mean, I'm soon to be stepfather to a to a 12 year old. She was 10 when I met her. Mm-hmm. There's nothing greater in my life than hanging out with Audrey and Gigi. It's like the greatest wow. the greatest thing in the world, you know. And every hour that goes by, I know, is one hour less that I have of her while she's still a kid. She's still a little kid. Yeah. And she seems in such an enormous hurry. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind that I've got two years of parenting experience with a 12 year old. So I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm still kind of getting used to it. But she seems in such an enormous hurry. But thankfully, thankfully, Audrey has brought her up to be such a, a very, very clever, very smart, very, very, very clever young woman. But when I hear you talk about consent, it sends shivers down my spine, especially mm. when um, the, the most recent case that people will know about, about the, the thing that happened in Stanford with that, that boy in Stanford and that poor, poor girl. Mm. What if women are going out there and having... You know, you know, just like every day, you know, sex that happens in a relationship, sex that happens outside of a relationship, sex mm-hmm. that happens as part of one's social life, sex mm-hmm. that happens for fun. And it sucks that I have to ask you this. Mm. What would you say to women about being clear with consent? Yeah. It's, um, because I want to shout from the fucking rooftops. You know how we stop raping people? Stop fucking rapists. That's <laughs> it. That's how you stop rape. Stop rapists. Yeah. It's not fucking hard. It's it's such it's a big issue because our entire society is actually breeding that environment. Mm. You know, everything, our advertising, the way we're looking at women, yeah. all of that is it's sad that we actually need to sit women down and say, You can actually say no and you don't have to feel bad about it. Yeah. You you deserve to say no. And and you can also say yes, then no, and that's okay, that's still valid. All it takes is your no. And it, it sucks that we have to do that because that's in a way um, victim blaming and saying, oh, you're a woman, so I need to teach you how not to be raped when, you know, we really should be trying to stop the rapist. But it's just it's so ubiquitous and huge. So yeah. we need to train little um, little boys. Like that domestic violence ad that's on TV at yeah. the moment is really, really good. Is. We need to do more of that and we need to have it in, like, go and, and, and bash down all the stereotypes because that's what this is. We're seeing women as, you know, like advertising. I mean, there was an ad for shoes the other day, Steve Madden or something, mm. and um, the woman's topless with, like, hair everywhere. I can't see any shoes in it. And then there's a, a man standing there with the top on, and it's like, why did she have to have her top off if he was wearing a top? What, like, because we're giving messages to everyone. I don't know if you realise, but when I put on a pair of Steve Madden shoes, topless chicks just come out of it. <laughs> well. It's a great product. <laughs> great fucking product. So what so, would you say to men listening to this about consent? 
Um, I, I would say that you know men actually need to start asking because we need to be aware that women are not conditioned to be as assertive as they need to be. So we need to start teaching men that are being respectful of women that it is actually time to start being explicit about consent. Um, you know, because I have a look at it, uh, the first kiss. No one asks you if they're going to kiss you. They just go in there and they kiss you. Your lack of saying no is considered consent. Um, so when we have situations where... I always ask because I, th- I thought it was kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's not the norm though. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we, we've now got situations now where because of porn and men are starting to introduce anal on the first time they're with their new partner or they do think that come in the eyeballs is something that they might think is hot. Um, the phone's ringing. That's all right. Um, yeah, so... You know, we need to have, men need to learn to start asking for that. You know, oh, I saw this on a porno. That looks hot. Are you open to that? Um, rather than just pulling it out in the bedroom and expecting their female partner to be okay with it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a double-sided. And but I'm sure, you know, there, as you mentioned earlier, that you said it's okay to say no and not feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there, there, there are, you know, in any situation... Some, sometimes we don't want to say no to stuff because like, well, I'm not really into this, whatever it might be. It could even be a job, mm. but I'm going to go along with it because everybody else is or mm-hmm. I, I think I might, they might not like me. Yeah, uh, so and, and that's where we need to work on, you know, authenticity and self-esteem of the individual because it's okay yeah. to be different. And, you know, it's kind of like I don't think I'd be able to stand here and be so proud if I didn't embrace the fact that I've been different because I am considered an outcast in society. Um, and so because of that, because of never being included and never having to sort of swim with the flock, I've also had the power in being able to say, well, I know where my boundaries are oh. and I can say no and, and I don't have to be accepted. That's yeah. okay because I'm still me. Um, so we need to do there's, – there's so much. Like I, I, want, I think that we've got to start teaching relationship skills in schools yeah. um, as well as sex education. So. All right, I lied when I said that was the last question. I have mm-hmm. one, one last one. What are your, what would you like people to know about the fluid nature of sexuality from your perspective? Mm. Um, the fluid nature of sexuality. I, I think, you know, sex is one of those, like if we didn't see, if we didn't embrace sex as something that's fluid or something that can grow, we would be having exactly the same sex that we lost our virginity to however many years ago, um, which for most of us wasn't awesome. No. There was Led Zeppelin, so that was okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, sex is it's all about... Um, it's all about growth and finding yourself and it's also about um, it, it's a way that our adults' minds also will um, deal with trauma and things that we can't deal with. It almost becomes our play therapy. We're used to kids dealing with that um, when they're kids but in adulthood that's also part of your sexuality. So our sex and our libido will ebb and flow throughout life. It will expand and it will contract. It will change with all the different partners. And the biggest thing I, I think is that people in relationships um, who don't see sex as a fluid relationship expanding thing fall into a rut because they're just trying to chase an orgasm or trying to get a job done. And and that to me is um, 
a real loss of you know intimacy and, and closeness and connection with your partner because mm. you're losing that ability to be vulnerable and try something new. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's really I don't know. What about people like well, I was talking about this on radio the other day. I used to live mm. with a guy um, who was my flatmate. He'd been gay since. He'd come, I think he came out at 13 or something, quite mm-hmm. young, for country New South Wales. And he's older than me. I'm 42. He's nearly 50 now. Mm. Um, when he was 26, he met a woman, he fell in love. Now they've got two kids. Mm. We kind of need to drop the notion of gender. I mean, people are people. We fall in love with who we fall in love with. Yeah. I was um, speaking to a young lesbian yesterday who um, knew she was a lesbian and then all of a sudden in her early 20s um, ended up in a polyamorous relationship with a man and a woman and she had an absolute identity crisis because she also liked having sex with a man and what did that mean for her? And, you know, that's totally fine because we're all sexual beings. We can actually have good sex with a bunch of people that we're not even attracted to. It doesn't really have anything to do with that orientation. Um, and this is where we need to break down these stereotypes and these boxes because when it comes to sexuality and identity we everyone likes to identify to a box and we have our reasons to do that but the boxes also constrict us as much as they keep us safe yeah. and it's it's time we start breaking that down but it's super scary when this thing that you know i'm this i'm that i see that bloke he reminds me of me i said oh, i like that well hang on a second you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden what you think is you starts to change under your feet it can yeah. be quite frightening. Yeah, but the only constant thing in life is change, you know. It's time for us to start embracing it, I think. Sure, Miss Ana. dropping wisdom. Pulled that out of my back pocket. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming around. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Sorry Frank was such a... Oh, I love Frank. I'm going to take him home to play terrorist. with Captain. I'm going to take your photo real quick, okay? Okay. Okay, sweet. Thanks heaps. <laughs> And that was Madison Messina. You can find her on Twitter at Ask Miss Madison. Her podcast is called The Prude and the Porn Star. You can find it on the Mamma Mia Women's Network. Just search for it in the podcast app you're listening to right now. A big thanks to everyone um, who uh, cleared this episode. I am very aware that The Bachelor is on at the moment um, on a very high profile, uh, very kind of, I guess, kind of family TV show. And so I did run this episode past a few of the people who uh, uh, needed to hear it. And they were all very kind and very supportive. And this episode would not have been uh, coming to you today were it not for all the people along the way that um, said, you know what, it's okay because this is a conversation that needs to be had. So I've got to say a massive big thanks to everybody who I work with um, that I ran this past that gave it the thumbs up. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm very grateful these conversations need to be had in our society and I'm grateful that um, you helped me have at least one of them. I've got a jet. Thank you so much to everybody that supports the show. Patreon.com slash Osher. A uh, little as five bucks. You can get exclusive episodes. Um, that's it. I've got to go. I uh, love you so much for listening. Have a safe week. Hug your lover. Um, kiss them and tell them they're great and make him a cup of tea and just be nice to them this week. Because <laughs> it's not the one. It's the one who'll work on it with you. Thanks so much for listening. Until we talk next, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 